Welcome to Church 213. We're so glad you're listening to the sermon series titled Tis the Season, where Pastor Ryan will be encouraging us on how to be healthy, strong, and unified as we head into the last lap of 2021. Thanks for listening. Tis the Season. Tis the Season is a series that we kicked off with last week. The nature of fall, the nature of winter, and you guys agreed, if you were here last week, a lot of you are nodding your heads, you agreed that it is a season of rapid change. Man, life is about to really pick up for us with all the different moving parts. And so I thought it was appropriate to preach a series of messages that are going to take us all the way to the end of the year that will help us redeem that last lap of 2021. You know, a lot of times it's not how you start, it's how you finish. So I want us to finish as a faith family, church. I want us to finish well. But with, with the season comes traditions. You know, I'll, a lot of you, you know, you have traditions as you move into this busy season. Some of your traditions are, are those holiday movies that you're already all geared up for. We got any Hallmark mamas in here? Don't be ashamed. There might be some Hallmark daddies. Don't raise your hand. No, I'm serious. I, I'm, I, sometimes I watch them. I'm not going to lie. Anybody Hallmark daddies back here? Here's, here's what I know about the traditions of the movies, of the Hallmark. They are so predictable. I think that's what makes them so good. Woman leaves small town for the lure of the big city. She faces a life crisis. Moves back home with a grandma. Meets the old crush at the hardware store. Cue the snow, cue the kiss, cue the tears, wrap it up, the end. The holidays are complete. You know I speak truth. Don't sit out there acting all self-righteous. Tis the season for feel-good stories. Today, what we experienced was a feel-good story. This is God at work, y'all. This is God working around us. The feel-good stories are there. The feel-good stories, while we can't see it, a lot of times they're right there because of Jesus. We just sang about that. But I've noticed something about happy endings. They never come without a struggle. Why do struggles captivate the heart? I mean, think about it. Those cute puppies, they had Cruella DeVille. Batman has Joker. Everybody in Whoville loved Christmas a lot, except for the Grinch, who did not. And never forget, there's no Peter Pan without who? The hook. And so what I want you to do is I want you to think about this good verse. Eve. I want you to think about this on a core level, because our culture, there's a reason why it's so captivating. There's a reason why Hollywood understands that any great story needs an evil presence. Because it makes that story more relatable. Y'all with me? Why, why though? Why that particular storyline? Because I really believe good versus evil storyline is captivating to us. And it's profitable. Because there's this foundational sense that's lurking in every human heart. 
Tis the season to be prepared for spiritual attack. That's where we find ourselves. We also find that in 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 8. So if you have your copy of the scriptures, let's stand together. In the honor of this word that we are called to, to preach and to teach because it shapes and it conforms us and it molds us to the image of the living, risen Savior. 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 6. I think on the screen we have just 8 through 11, but I want to read um, 6 through 11. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, big number 5, small number 6, says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. To God be the glory. Amen. Be sober minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion. Looking for anyone he can devour. You know why he can roar and not bite you? Because Jesus knocked his teeth out at the cross. But verse 9 says, resist him. Firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Verse 10. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. Man, what power. What power there. We are inviting trouble this morning. But because of who I am in Christ, I say bring it on. You guys can have a seat. I hope that's the, I hope that's the, um, that's the desire of your heart. I hope that in the morning when your feet hit the floor, the devil goes, oh no, he's up. Oh no, she's up. Oh no, that student is going to school. Because his image bearers, what this scripture tells us, is we have a villain. We have an adversary, the Bible calls him, who is on the hunt, watching and waiting to eliminate God's influence through your life. He is a glory stealer. He's a punk. And I look forward to the moment that he's cast into the lake of fire. But what we see is, is while he has rule, while he has selected, limited authority, on earth, there's some scenes that we go through. I call them spiritual scene life cycles in the life of a believer. And what Peter does right here is he, he opens the plot to every Christian storyline. If you've walked with the Lord for any amount of time, you know this is the case. You have the peaceful opening. The rightful king is in charge and there is peace between the people. Then you have the raging battle. This is on your notes. The peaceful opening. 
Then you have the raging battle. That's, that's the villain who distorts the truth and wreaks havoc and unleashes that between people. Then you have the eventual victory. These are the, I'm calling these the spiritual scenes of, of life cycles. Hudson Dietzel is just beginning his walk with the Lord. And if you've walked with, any, with the Lord any amount of time, you realize that He will go through these cycles because we go through these cycles. A peaceful opening, a raging battle, an eventual victory. Shouldn't we lift each other up, church? Shouldn't, shouldn't we, knowing the cycles that we all go through, all of us are, are somewhere in these scenes right now. Amen? Don't come in here like a stained glass masquerade thinking that everything is fine. We're all part of the fine family. Sometimes you're not part of the fine family. You're, you're, you're the black sheep of the fine family. Because things aren't fine. It's a team sport. And so what I want to do this morning is, is I want to expose Satan's plan of attack to steal God's glory from creation the way he has since the beginning of Eden. And it's still working. Still going to the same game plan. So I want to expose that. And I'm telling you, like I opened with, we are inviting trouble. We are about to put a target on our backs. Because it's still working. I spent some time last week with some of the, I really believe, some of the most gifted and passionate pastors in our area. And we all, they all confirmed this. That the more that we preach and teach personal spiritual responsibility and spiritual attack, the fewer people that regularly attend corporate worship. Man, why, why is that? It's because those things are typically at the top of the priority list for the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy God's influence in your life. But I'm charging forward, church. I want you to know that. I'm charging forward. And I want to expose Satan for the liar that he is, for the cheat and for the adversary that he is, so that we can be prepared. Anybody with me? Anybody, church? Amen. Amen. And I believe the, the, one of the best places to start at exposing this, exposing the devil's tactic, is the first attack. Let's go back to the, to the scene of the crime. And we find that in Genesis chapter 3. So let's go there. You're going to take a hard left. I mean a hard left. Very beginning. Genesis chapter 3 starting in verse 1. We are inviting trouble. I get it. It's on page 2 in my Bible. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. I, th I think it's also on the screen. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you can eat from any tree in the garden? Verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, Okay, let me stop right here. This is where my mind has been the last couple of weeks. Is it possible that, and this might be out there, hang with me. Is it possible 
that there was human-animal communication before the fall. It's very well possible. All things were perfect. It's possible that the fall destroyed that communication. See, it doesn't say that when the serpent spoke to Eve, she was surprised that there was a talking serpent. She was surprised by what it said. So could animals talk to Adam and Eve? Possibly. It, the text doesn't say. That's not the point of the text. But the, what I want to point out to you is the effects that sin has. It destroys everything that's legitimate. Including language, possibly. And so it said, the woman said to the serpent, Whoa, a talking serpent. No, it doesn't say that. It said, we may eat of the fruit. So it was having an open conversation. The disagreement was not on that it was speaking. It was what's being said. We may eat of the fruit from the tree of the garden. But about the fruit of the tree of the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will surely die. Verse 4, no, you will not die. The serpent said to the woman, in fact, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delight to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. And she took some of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. So that, that, that last verse has three very clear tactics of the enemy that we need to be aware of this morning. Tis the season to be prepared. And what these tactics show us is they show us Satan pulling away his God's creation from Elohim, the Lord God, pulling them away from truth. And what we find in Genesis 3 is, is supported in 1 John chapter 2. The Apostle John lays out the battle plan for us. We aren't left helpless. We are inviting trouble. But we aren't inviting trouble without the proper battle plan. Amen? So this is what it says. 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is talking about allegiance. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. Talking about perspective and allegiance. And the world, with its lust, is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. Talking about persistence and allegiance. And so if we take Genesis 3.6. Genesis 3.6 says this. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and the delight to look at. And that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So what John is explaining to us is the same three tactics that we find in Genesis 3 has been continuing to be used from the enemy throughout the ages. It's the lust of the flesh. We see that in Genesis 3.6. That's the first tactic. That there's, there's, there's a lust of the flesh. If you look at the beginning of Genesis 3, 6, 
It says the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Flesh meaning body, bodily desires. See, she understood that the tree is good for food and and she desired to take that fruit and to feed her body, which constitutes food for the flesh. Now, there's nothing wrong with eating food. I'm not saying that. It's a normal desire of the body. The danger of the lust of the flesh is when we begin to fulfill those desires of our body outside the sphere of the will of God. That's when temptation becomes sin. It's illegitimate. See, it wasn't wrong for Eve to eat freely from the garden. But to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was outside of the circle of God's will. I want you to know this. The the fruit itself has no organic power to destroy, to make or to break. It's just fruit. Just like the fruit of the tree of life had no power to preserve life. It was just fruit. But what the fruit was, it was a symbol. It was, it was a symbol of an act of disobedience or obedience that gave the fruit its significance. It symbolized an urgent dependency, trust. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. So what God was doing in the garden, He was giving Adam and Eve an opportunity to have an urgent dependency, a complete trust. That's what baptism symbolizes. Symbolizes your complete trust in the work and the sufficiency of the blood of, of, of the Lamb. That your sin has been removed from you. And it is a personal decision that you have made to trust and obey in Christ. So not about the fruit, it's about the root. And anytime Satan can get us to participate in the desires of the body outside of how God intended it, it becomes perversion. The word perversion just means to twist the truth. We must expect that Satan will take, listen, we must expect that Satan will take normal, healthy, human needs overemphasize and distort them until they become sin traps for us. He can only work with what God has created. He takes it and he distorts it and he illegitimizes it. James chapter 1 tells us this. This is the danger. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. It's illegitimate. Then, after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when that sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. This is a slow, slow fade. Satan can wait you out. And he will. So what I want us to do is is I want to give you a few areas that the lust of the flesh may cause us to fall away We talked about that word last week. Tis the season was the introduction. Tis the season to stay awake. If you remember, the word that I talked about was scandalizo. It's where we get our word scandal from. It means to stumble away from truth, from God. And so we have to handle carefully the body's desire for food. We've got to handle that with care. 
There's nothing wrong with eating. I'm not, I'm not saying that. It's not a sin to have sauce on your chin, okay? If you don't eat, you'll die. But, 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 but not eating outside of God's intentions is the key. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. You know it. And it, it could differ from it for everybody. If you discover chocolate's bad for you, or that strawberry cake, or all that sugar in Milo sweet tea, or whatever it is that your body craves, and you say, I don't care. I don't care what my doctor says. I don't care what the, what the, what the, what the blood report says. I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. And you continue to do the things you know are bad for you physically. That is sin because it distorts the truth. And that means walking in darkness. So be very careful. Also handle carefully the body's desire for rest. I must admit, there are times that I have dreams about taking naps. But we have to handle rest very carefully. Because not only does the body naturally need food... But it needs rest and comfort. There's, not, there, there's nothing wrong with our body feeling at ease. I'm not saying that. But life on the run isn't healthy long term. You'll either burn out or you'll rust out. The danger is both of those have the word out in it. I don't want you out. I want you healthy. I want you, I want you to know that, that well fathers father well. Well mothers mother well. Well pastors pastor well. And so we have to be careful. But unless the rest and comfort takes us outside the will of God, we have to be careful. And that's where we listen to the Spirit of God speaking on our behalf. See, I, don't, I, I like being busy. I don't like being in a hurry. And what I find is when I'm in a hurry, when I haven't used my time wisely, I come under conviction, I feel it. When I squander the time. As Jesus followers, I want you to know that, that, that we struggle to, to worship effectively and serve effectively and minister to our community if we are slaves to illegitimate, perverse leisure. We can't always live for the weekends because living for the weekends is possible that it reveals a deep heart issue. It's at risk. Rest and margin are profitable. They are absolutely profitable because they help us maintain our God-given responsibilities here and at work and at home. And when you think about the word go, go is found in God. You know, you can't spell God without go in it. Praise God, He came to me. You can't spell gospel without go in it. Somebody brought the gospel to me. Gospel has wheels on it. You can't spell good news without go in it. Amen? And so we have to rest to live, but, but too much is just as bad as not enough because it will rock us slowly to sleep in our faith. And I really believe that God will cause, call us sometimes to a place of dif- discomfort because His Word comforts the afflicted and it afflicts the comfortable. Know this. That what you feed always grows and what you starve will always die. So Peter's saying, hey Christian, you better be sober. You better be alert to the table that Satan may be pulling you into. 
But there's three avenues. There's, there's three avenues to it. Lust of, um, lust of the flesh. You know it. Your stomach growls. If I preach past 1130. Your eyes will not stay open because it needs rest. When they think that playing at 8 o'clock is good for ratings. But not so good for church attendance. You know, we're struggling here. You, you know, it's, it's natural. That's what I'm saying. You have the lust of the flesh. We have to eat. We have to have rest. But there's another tactic. It's the lust of the eyes. First John tells us this. First John 2, it, it goes on. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, tactic one, the lust of the eyes, tactic two. That's what Genesis 3.6 shows us. Let's go back there. Genesis 3.6 says, The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at. Let me say this. There's nothing wrong with seeing. Just, just because there's nothing wrong with the normal desires of the body. Our eyes are a marvelous creation. It's unexplainable. How the rods, how, the mil, how a million rod and cone can perfectly match up somewhere in your optic nerve still conf, conf, confounds doctors of how the eyeball works. It's a mystery of God. If you've ever seen a beautiful sunset or if you've ever seen the beautiful little ringlets on the, in the back of a little, a little toddler's hair. And you, know, you know what I'm saying? If you've ever seen those things, it's where revelation meets response. That's my definition of worship. You can see it and you can worship God for how good He is. Thank God for eyesight. God gave us our eyes, y'all, as a tool. To know him better. But our eyes are also a window to the soul. So we have to guard them. I mean, if you go on a construction site, OSHA regulations will, will make you guard your eyes. But that's just the physical effects. Man, we should guard our spiritual eyes. Because it affects, it is the wellspring down here. Our soul, the Bible says. We need to guard them because it's often a tool that opens up the desires of our flesh that's introduced to our mind. They work together. Those two tactics work together. The, 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 the draw of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, they, they work together. There was this girl and she asked this guy, she said, you think I'm cute? I said, well, in a way. And so he asked, well, what kind of way? And she said, way off. <laughs> See, she got it. She got it. Eve saw that the tree was pleasant to the eyes. And at that point, there was nothing wrong with her continuing to look at it. But because of seeing it and realizing that it was pleasant to the eyes, she was tempted to cross that line of disobedience. She was, she was prepared to distort 
the truth of what she was looking at and yield to temptation and step out of God's will just as Satan hoped she would. You guys know it is hard to satisfy the eyes. Your eyes are never full. No matter how, you, how much you see, you just want to see more and more and more. And I'll prove it to you. You come upon a really bad car accident. You take your eyes off the road because you want to see something. Right? You know I'm speaking truth. And then when you go by, you ask your kids, turn around and look and see what they can see. You want to see all of it. It's just never enough. The appetite of the flesh through the eyes is why pornography is so destructive. But it continues to be a billion plus dollar industry in our country because our eyes are never full. It's there. The Greek word is porneia. It means to allow access to something sexually illegitimate. A, a twisting of the truth. Off limits. No trespassing. My definition is this. It's where more eyes pay more money every year to see less of what is actually true. Willingly being lied to. But yet the prophets continue to grow and to grow and to grow and to grow. This is on your notes. You guys, you guys write this down. Any, any illegitimate connection built on curves and edges will land you in a ditch. And the Bible says there's an end to that. And it is death. That's bold language. See, through the, through the lust of the eyes, it's been said that Satan will take you further than you want to go keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you way more than you ever thought you would pay. Because it's illegitimate access to something. And so what I want to do is there's a few areas that we can fall into sin just through our eyes. The first thing is this, is, is the area that we can fall into is covetousness. Covetousness. We see something we want. I mean, it can be a car, it can be an outfit, it can be another person. And slowly but surely, you develop an insatiable desire to have it. Now, what I'm saying is it's not, it's not wrong to notice nice things. But we, we fall into sin through our eyes when we become consumed with wanting what is illegitimate. So I want to say, stop looking for things that are that are off limits. No trespassing. I mean, this is, you know, we're, 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 we've already started deer season. You know, I doubt anyone's going to be walking through the woods and, you know, sees a tree line that has no trespassing signs posted and go up to it and go, hmm, I wonder what that means. It's clear. What it's doing is it's clearly defining a boundary. You can look at this line and you can go no further because as soon as you cross this line, you are entering into something that's illegitimate access and its way leads to death. It may be 
It may be death of your hobby. It might be death of your access to license. It may be you know, death to your testimony. You know, you cross that no trust, you cross that line, and there are consequences. Many good people have stolen, embezzled, and even killed because of something they saw they wanted, which they had no legal or moral right to want. Something else, though, that I can, can lead us into idolatry if we're not careful. Idolatry, and that's what we saw right here in Genesis 3, is related to the desire of the eyes when Christians put visible demands on worshiping God. Hang with me. When Christians put visible demands on worshiping God. And here's what I mean by that. Maybe it's a preference of paint color. I know it seems trivial, but, but hang with me. Maybe it's a preference of lighting. Maybe it's a preference of certain people in church. You know, I'm not coming to church unless that's a dangerous place to leave yourself. Unless I see this. Unless I see this. Unless I see people that talk to me during the week. Unless I see my family. Unless I see my seat open. Unless I see the lights at a certain, or the HVAC at a certain, you see what I'm saying? Those things are dangerous. What happens if the music fades? What happens if there are no chairs? If you've been to the mission field, it's an eye-opener. It is hot, especially if you go south. The resources are low, and the bugs are big. But it checks your heart. What if those certain people that you only come to church to see aren't here? Would the word be enough? What would your thought be if you came in and we had nothing but just preaching? The five minute countdown ended and I said, good morning church, open your Bibles and we just dug right in. <gasps> what in the world? I'll be out of here in 30 minutes. That would be an interesting topic, tactic, if you think about it. I mean, how sweet would it be to preach the word, to be impacted by the word, and then sing the next 30 minutes about the impact that the word had on us. But sometimes, we do all the singing before, have a word, have a little song at the end, and then get out of here. So I'm not opposed to shaking things up for you. A person might not say they're worshiping idols, but they actually are. If they can't worship unless they see certain things in order to feel like they're worshiping. It's possible that they aren't worshiping the Lord at all. It's just an idol. An idol. The eyes can also make us fall into selfishness. Man, it's easy to be selfish. It's so easy to be selfish. And when Debbie and I were dating a long time ago, I'd get out of class on... Friday in Cleveland, Georgia, Troop McConnell College. And I drive my little Sebring two-door coupe. Man, I could not get to 144 Spearman Road fast enough. I would, I would, I would pass, I would pass the gas stations, I would pass, I would pass the fast food restaurants, I would, I would roll down in that driveway starving and on fumes to see that smiling face. And now there's times that I don't even want to pull the trash can to the end of the driveway. Man, 
We can be selfish, can't we? How fast it can change. So we have to guard ourselves. See, the Bible shows us that giving is another form of worship. Which is why we receive an offering. We don't take an offering. We've never taken an offering. For, that, would, that wouldn't mean an offering. We, give us an, we, we have an opportunity. I, my family, the Wyatt crew, we have an opportunity to worship through giving every single Sunday because my heart needs it. Because I know I'm, 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 I have a tendency to walk around like this. The problem is, yeah, you have what, what you can hold on to, but there can't be anything in or anything out. It's just what you got what you got. God, I want to live like this. I want to be a funnel, not a drain. And so I, I take advantage of it. We do. Because offering is a spiritual EKG. Giving reveals the heart. And I want you to know that this is a giving church. If you knew what God had done through our giving the last 18 months, all you could say is, to God be the glory. I see that as evidence that, we're, that, that there's spiritual growth pockets all over because your heart is being checked and you're fully surrendered to, to the things of God. A little girl one day was given $2 by her mom Mother said, hey, honey, $1 for church, the other dollars for candy after church. Well, the little girl starts down the road to church, and it was a windy day, and she got tripped up, and she fell, and, and both of her dollars flew away, and she was only able to catch one, and she said, well, God, there goes your dollar. <laughs> ah! Man, isn't it interesting that God's dollar is always the one that flies away? And isn't it true that, that when you have to make cuts, it's easy to cut out God first. But the interesting and sometimes sad part is that, that He is the first place that we turn to when things get tight. Y'all, everything we have, every last cent, God has made that possible. And we run the risk of robbing God when we fund the lust of our selfishness. I have no idea... Who worships through giving at 2.13? I don't want to know. And I don't ask. But I do care. And I care. And I get the weekly spreadsheets. And I get the trends. And I get the numbers. You know, not the details. But I get the amounts. And we all, our team, we look at them. We pray over them. Because I care about them. Because that is a evidence of the condition of your heart as it relates to spiritual growth. And I can tell you this morning. More times than not. A family that struggles to find purpose, a family that struggles to connect in this place is a family that is most likely not personally invested into this ministry. Because there's no one more wanting than the one that only does what he wants. And that leads to distance and disunity. And the enemy, man, he is just taking people out. One heart issue at a time. There's a third thing. It's the tactic, the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. First John goes back to that. First uh, John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh... 
The lust of the eyes and the pride of one's possession is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is not, and the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. Legitimate allegiance. That's exactly what Eve was going through in Genesis 3. Genesis 3, 6 says this. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh. Delight to look at, lust of the eyes. And it was desirable for obtaining, what church? Say it together. Wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So she took some of its fruit. She crossed that line. Illegitimate trespass. She took the fruit and she ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. See, she thought if she takes from it, that she would be like God, knowing good and evil. It was a half-truth. It's a very dangerous thing, seeing the whole picture. Sometimes we say, God, if I could just see the whole picture, you don't want to see the whole picture. If you could see the whole picture, you would be in a fetal position somewhere. <laughs> It'd scare you to death. So by God's grace, being a lamp into your feet and a light into our path, we walk by faith, not by sight, because if we could see the whole picture, we would be paralyzed in our walk with Him. It wouldn't take faith. It wouldn't take obedience. We would, be, we would be operating on our own wisdom if we could see the whole picture. So that's really not a prayer to pray, God, help me to see. No, it's God, help me to believe and to trust that you are good and you are faithful. So the Bible says that she took from it and that she would be like God and she thought she would be elevated to do whatever she wanted. She would no longer be subjected to the, to the Lord. She would, in essence, be her own Lord. In other words, she'd be like God. And so what we see is Satan was tempting her in relation to the pride of life. It's a threefold attack. Offense, defense, special teams. You see, what Satan was trying to do, church, I want you to see this. He was trying to convince her that true freedom was found in doing, doing whatever she wanted. Sometimes our kids do that. If you really love me, you let me do whatever I wanted. Whatever I want. If you, if you really love me, you would let me go wherever I want. You don't love me. No, you, you do love them. So you don't let them play in the street. We've talked about it before, but at my house, at the top of the driveway in the summer, we have a spank line. I take a piece of chalk and I draw a line. Don't cross that line because there are consequences. So what Satan was trying to do was, was to convince her and tries to convince us that true freedom is found in doing whatever we want. But that's another death trap. I mean, think about it. A fish that decides to make a bid for freedom jumping out of the water is not free. Oops. Because it was created to live in that environment of water. We're created to live in the environment as image bearers inside the confines of the boundaries of our Creator. 
And as soon as we try to try to become what we are not far from enjoying freedom, we can't expect to flourish. We find ourselves outside of the boundaries. Benjamin Stewart says this for all of life, the highest potential will be achieved. And the greatest satisfaction experienced if we live accordance in accordance with our Creator's intended design. Y'all hear that? For all of life, the highest potential will be achieved. You want to make it? This is it. And the greatest satisfaction experience. You want to feel it? This is it. If we live in accordance with our Creator's intended design. See, a fish is only free when it's in the boundaries of the water. I'm free to use this copy of the Scriptures when the pages are bound inside the cover. We benefit from our car when we keep it between the white and the yellow lines of the road. And we have margin, right? God even gives us margin. Because it's tough to text and drive. I had a lady the other day run me off the road putting on her makeup. I almost spilled my cereal. Here's the thing. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are in a mess. Amen? They're in a mess. They're fighting for their lives against the most vicious villain. And it seems like they've lost. They're slowly dying physically because they've been plucked away from obedience. And they've immediately died spiritually, just as God said they would. In the moment that you cross the line, you will surely die. Physically and spiritually. So I want you to know that tis the season to prepare for the devil. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. But we are not without hope. To God be the glory. Because enter the Lord Jesus. Enter the hero. To which the world's timeline is bent. Enter the Lord, who taught us how to resist the schemes and win every battle so that we aren't sucked into death. So when the enemy is calling us to his table, we can resist it. Christ gives us a wonderful example, unmatched wisdom and skill to win this battle. After Adam and Eve fell, they realized they were naked. Shame entered. They realized the relationship had been broken. They knew good and evil, and they ran for it. The Lord came looking for them. The first words that we read from Elohim, the Lord God, the first words that we read after the fall is the phrase, where are you? Man, how about that? Where are you? That, that phrase in Hebrew is just one word. There's, there's theology wrapped up in just that one word. God seeks out the lost sinner. Where are you? He knew where they were. He's making a point. God welcomes us to confess. Where were you? You ask your children that. You know where they were. You've got Life 360 on your phone. You watch their every move. But when they get home, you're like, where you been? You know where they've been. What you want is for them to tell you the truth. 
God desires His restoration. God works His redemption. All of that theology is wrapped up in that one Hebrew word to where we get the phrase, where are you? My question for you this morning, where are you? God's asking that question. Where are you in the battle? Where are you in the battle for self-esteem? Where are you in the battle of purpose? Where are you in the battle for your time, your flesh, your eyes, your wisdom? So God lays it out for us. The hero is Christ Jesus. We are not left out to dry. Amen? Man, we're not left out to dry. First John tells us this. And the world, with its lust, is passing away. It's illegitimate. It's not truth. It's fading. But the one who does the will of God remains, what church? Forever. It's secure. It's a boundary that will not ever fail. And what we find in Luke 4 is Jesus being tempted in the exact same way that Adam and Eve were tempted in his flesh because the tactic always works if we're not equipped. We are inviting trouble. But because we're inviting trouble, we have hope. We have a game plan. You guys turn with me, Luke chapter 4. Starting in verse 1. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus left the Jordan, full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, And when they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. He immediately interjects questions, the same way tactic he used in Genesis 3. But Jesus answered him, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone. And so he took him up and, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Don't think for a minute the enemy doesn't have power beyond what you could ever imagine. In a moment of time. The devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all of this authority because it has been given over to me. And I can give it to whoever I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. And so he took him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written. You see what happened? The enemy knows the Word of God. He even quoted it. For it is written. 
He will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you. And they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said. Basically, what you are quoting, this is what it actually means. Do not test the Lord your God. And after the devil had finished every temptation, every, those are the three right there, every, that's the whole arsenal right there. After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. Y'all catch that? Another translation I was studying through said, for now. For now. Which means he's coming back. He is relentless. You might have beat him today, but guess what? Tomorrow, he's after us again with the tactics. For now. See, it's important that we end this message, and I'm, I'm landing this plane. It might be a crash landing, but we're going down. Because I want to expose the same bag of tricks. So we're going to end it showing how Jesus had victory over the villain. See, there was nothing wrong with Jesus eating by turning stones into bread. There was nothing wrong with eating the fruit of the garden. Y'all see, there's a common thread here. There's nothing wrong with, with eating. It's part of the body. But if Jesus had performed a miracle using His power for His own benefit in order to gratify His flesh, it would have been sin. That sin would have been related to the lust of the flesh and it would have been outside the will of the Father because He was depending on the Father for nourishment, not what He can do in Himself. And so how did he defeat the temptation of the lust of the flesh? He reminded Satan of the whole truth. He knew the truth. That's how he won that battle. That's how you're going to win that battle. That's how I'm going to win the battle of reminding the enemy of what is true. What is true about you is what God's word says about you. That tells us we too must be working really hard to know the Word of God. You better have that Word hidden in your heart. The Word says, so that you might not sin against God. It is our elite weapon. Talking about special ops. In the battle for purity, in the battle for your testimony, we better know God's Word. Because when we sling that sword, that is their only offensive weapon we have. The other, the other armor that we put on is for defensive measures. But we have that sword, and that's what we can win with. That's how we stay connected to the Father's will. So work, work on memorizing some Scripture. I'll give you a few. question is, do you know a piece of Scripture for every year you've been a Christian? Been a Christian for 25 years? You know, can you quote 25 Scriptures? That's one a year. Man, go through. Go through the, the Bible and, and pick out some of those weapons that you can use. You know what you're struggling with. You know the, the flesh of the eyes and the flesh of the, 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 the body and the pride of life. You know there. Go through there. Pick out some weapons. Put, the, put a grenade on. Pull the pin and throw it on the enemy when he comes at you. But while Jesus was wanting to please his father, he also needed to defeat the enemy, so he used his Bible. So the very thing that, D, that Eve did not know was the very thing that she misquoted. 
We can win by using God's word. So where does Satan go after that? He, he went to the sectic tactic, right? He goes to the lust of the eyes. What, what Satan is saying is, Jesus, you don't have to die. You don't have to go through all of this. All these things that you see, they will be your. I can give them to you. It's, it's, the, it's the flesh of, the, flesh of the, 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 the sin of the lust of the eyes is what he's saying. You will, I'll give you everything you need if you'll worship me. Jesus says there's nothing wrong with me having those things. He's going to have them anyway. They're all his. He's going to have them in the end as king of kings and lord of lords. But it would have been a sin against the father to get them before the time that it was meant for him to have them. Illegitimate timing. That's what Satan that was trying to get him to do. Go ahead and receive these things to you. They're yours. Go ahead and take them. I mean, you know the Christmas presents there. You know the presents coming to you. You know it's in the closet. Go ahead and rip the paper and look at it. Illegitimate timing is still sin. Maybe there's a relationship. You know the relationship's going to go on. Guard the timing. Maybe you, maybe you know that, that something's coming at your job. Maybe you have something coming your way. You know it's coming your way. But you can't receive it illegitimately. It's still a sin. Guard that timing. And how did he do it? Well, he used God's word. So Jesus, the hero, is two for two. But of course, that third tactic is, is there. Look at verse 9. We're winding down. Verse 9 says this. So we took him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. He'll give you his angels' orders concerning you to protect you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Verse 12, And Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not test the Lord your God. And after the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. What Satan was trying to get him to do was saying, show the world how important you are. Show them what you can do. Show them the angels will support you. Show them you'll not be hurt. Perform a miracle to prove that you are God. Which we saw him do in the New Testament. But it was about the right timing. He was not going to do anything or reveal anything that was outside of the will of God. That's how he won. He defeated the enemy by the word of God. And we have to be students of the word. I have some resources. Love to put something in your hand. Have great translation, study Bible options. Just start somewhere. Move and grow. Look back. Three weeks, four weeks, five weeks from now and go, man, I, I know a little bit more scripture than I did five weeks ago. Because we have a powerful villain. And the villain wants to do this, to kill, steal, and destroy what God wants to do in your life if we don't take a stand for truth. Think about the, think about the witness stand. If you've ever been on the witness stand, if you've ever been in a courtroom, if you've ever served your civic duty on a jury. 
Anytime someone takes the witness stand, there's a copy of the scriptures and there's an oath asked to be taken. Do you promise to tell the truth? What is it next? The whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. What that is saying to that person is, do you declare to live inside the boundaries of truth? Because if you live outside of those boundaries, there's no hope. And so for us this morning, there are some boundaries of truth. There's some boundaries of truth that the enemy wants you to cross that line of trespass so he can steal the glory of God that should be given to him through you but he wants it for himself. He is a glory stealer. So my challenge to us this morning is if, we, if, if, if there's a position in your life that's outside the boundaries of truth, get back inside the boundaries. The, remember the phrase was, Adam, where are you? That's a call for us this morning. Where are you? God is seeking restoration and forgiveness and redemption. If you're outside the boundaries, you're on a slippery slope and you know it because you're having a hard time with your footing or your grip, I encourage you this morning, get it right. Get back into alignment and move forward doing the things that needs to be done to go with the gospel. Scripture tells us that God's grace is new every morning to God be the glory. This is a new day. So let's leave this moment saying, I want to live in truth and nothing but the truth. Help me, God, do it. Bow your heads and let's, let's pray together. I want you to think about just for a moment the term. Think about the term, where are you? I don't know where you are. Pastor Dom doesn't know where you are. The person on your left and right has no idea where you are. But your Lord Jesus knows exactly where you are. And today's the day to make those decisions. To get back into alignment. So that you can be restored for His good purposes. Church, we are only as powerful as the purity of our, of our people. And so just simply ask the Lord to reveal those places that you've crossed the trespass line. That the enemy has pulled you up to his table. Maybe through the eyes, maybe through the flesh, maybe just through the simple pride of life. And this is a moment of change. I'm going to tell you right now, there's not a sin that any of you struggle with that every one of us don't struggle with. You're not on an island by yourself. We are under equal attack from the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and rob the glory of God from our life. But praise be to the one, the three in one, Father, Spirit, and Son who conquered death, hell, and the grave for us. 
so that we can live out his good purposes away from shame, being covered by the blood of the Lamb. Thanks for listening. If you made a decision for Christ or need prayer, please shoot us a message on Facebook at Church 213 or an email at office at church213.com or give us a call at 770-385-6304.